The Lord calls us to worship from the book of Psalms, chapter 89 this morning. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be held in reverence by all those around Him. O Lord of hosts, who is mighty like You, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds You. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, You still them. Amen. thank you for the blessing that it is to be gathered here together today as your people, the church, that we might worship and lift up the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might give to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all the glory and honor that is due your name. We gather as your people, desiring to please you in all the things that we say and do, and even in the meditations of our heart today. Lord, we pray to you the words of Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that one thing shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever and behold His beauty. Lord, we pray that You would be pleased by Your Spirit to allow us to see the beauty and the holiness of our Savior today, that we would see the Lord Jesus lifted up high, that He would be beautiful and pleasing in our sight, that we might rejoice to know that we belong to You. Lord, I pray that we would hear and believe the gospel today by your Spirit. And we join our hearts together as one people as we pray now the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you would like to turn there. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All you who look to the Lord by faith, who trust in the righteousness of Jesus alone for your salvation, hear these words of the assurance of God's pardon to you, His children. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteousness, the act of the free gift that He has given to all men, resulting in justification in life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's continue to worship now as we sing together hymn number 710, God of Our Fathers. Children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. 
It's good to see you all this morning. I wanted to see if you could finish a verse for me, but I need you to give me the first part of it. We've talked about it before, but I think maybe you'll remember it. Um, it says this. The first part is what I need you to give me. That something is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God. The fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And can anybody say just quickly, what does it mean to fear the Lord? To obey Him, to love Him, to, to do what He says, uh, to remember who He is and, and where He lives. Where does God live? He lives in heaven. He lives in His people. Right? But I want to ask you about something else. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, uh, can you think of what it means to fear other people? The fear of man. Does anybody know what that means? The fear of man, at least one of the things it means, is to be uh, men pleasers or people pleasers. So we think so much of what other people say that we might even be willing to make a pause for a minute about what we know the Bible says and say, well, I'm not sure that I should do this because I see other people not wanting me to do it. They don't like hearing it. So if I say the truth, they may not like me. And if they don't like me, I don't know that I'll like myself. You know, have you ever heard of things like that? Have you ever thought, I don't know if I'm going to say I'm a Christian because other people might not like hearing it. So to be a man-pleaser in the Bible is to be somebody who says that man's opinion actually matters more than God's. Do you think that's true? No. But there are times when other people might look at you and say, well, they're kind of different. They're odd. They seem to not like the same things I do. Or they seem to think that loving God and listening to their parents and obeying the Scriptures is more important than being liked by other people. Do you think that's true? more important to love God and, and be part of the church and obey your parents? Yes. Yeah. So I'm not saying at all that if you obey your parents, you're being a man pleaser. I'm actually saying that if you obey your parents, you're being a God pleaser because you fear Him. Isn't that one of the commandments? Honor your father and mother. So it's actually good that you do that. It shows that you love the Lord. I'm going to pray for you now that, that the Lord would work in your hearts that as you grow up, that you would not live in the fear of other people, being man or woman pleasers, but in the fear of the Lord, that you would love Him and obey Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the truth of Your Word for our children, that it is true for them as it is true for us. And Lord, I pray for their hearts before You, that they would seek and desire to, to love You and to obey You, no matter what other people may say even though people may think that they're different or maybe a, a little bit odd in their eyes. Lord, I pray that You would give our, our covenant children strength to walk before You, to know that if You are pleased with their lives, that that's the most important thing. And Lord, I pray that You would help their hearts as they see other people maybe act differently or laugh or say things about them that aren't true because they're different. Lord, I pray that You would help our children to know that it's okay to be different in loving the Lord and serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. For our responsive reading this morning, we're going to be reading Psalm 138. It's on page 834 in the Green Hymnal. 
If you would please turn there, we're going to read this out loud together. Psalm 138. The bottom of page 835. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. When I called, you answered me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Though the Lord is on high, He looks upon the lowly. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, You preserve my life. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to worship and turn to hymn number 672, Trust and Obey.
month for our pastoral prayer time, we're praying for uh, the PCA Chaplain's Ministry, which we support uh, through giving. And also we're praying for Andrew Shepard, one of our missionaries who is serving in the Ukraine. And uh, we also wanted to pray for Steve and Julie Jessen as they await uh, the results of his scan. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Father, it is our joy and our privilege to be in Your presence, gathered as Your people, the church, the bride of Christ. Lord, we thank You that being in Your presence, being called Your sons and daughters, knowing that You hear our prayers is not because of ourselves. It's actually because of the Lord Jesus Christ and His ministry, His perfect ministry to us. Lord, we thank You and we praise You that as we join our hearts together as Your people, that You bend Your ear to us. Lord, we lift up our hearts to You. There are many things that we brought into this room with us today. Sorrows and joys, cares of this world that, that weigh our hearts down, grief that we are bearing, some of us on our own, silently before You. Others are helping to carry burdens. And Lord, we just praise You and thank You that even in the midst of difficult and dark times, you are with your people. I pray for those in our church family who are suffering physically and mentally, emotionally or spiritually today. Lord, that you would be very close to them, that you would remind them of great and precious promises that you make to them as their Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray for those in our church family today who, though they celebrate Father's Day, they do so with tears in their eyes and a lump in their throat as they miss their dad. They wish that they could hold his hand one more time, give a hug and a kiss and say, I love you, dad. And they can't today. Lord, I pray that you would minister the gospel to their souls. I pray for wives in our church family who miss their husbands, who would love to celebrate one more meal with their husband and their children and their grandchildren. Lord, I pray that you would touch their hearts, remind them of the hope of the resurrection today, the truth and the reality that your word says that just as Christ was risen from the dead by your power, so that great power is promised to us. And that by your promise, your Holy Spirit has been put in us as a down payment for the day when you will raise us up to be with you. Lord, may that promise and the comfort of that promise be near to them today. Lord, I also pray for those in our midst who may struggle with this day because of having not a good relationship with their Father. Who see in calling you Heavenly Father, even they struggle to do it. Lord, I pray for those that you would comfort them in their pain and in their sorrows. That you would help them to know that you are near them. And Lord, I also do lift up to you the chaplain's ministry of the PCA, our denomination. And I thank you, Lord, that we get to participate in that ministry, not only by uh, giving, but also in participating and sharing the gospel and encouraging chaplains, even in our own presbytery and throughout this state, who are serving you. Lord, I pray that you would give them joy and delight and a strong, thick skin as they share the gospel in a very hard and difficult place. Lord, I pray for the soldiers and men and women who serve our country who will hear the gospel because of the faithful ministry of chaplains. Lord, I pray that you would open their hearts that they would hear the gospel and that the words of Jesus would be sweet in their ears and precious in their hands as they read your word. Lord, I do also pray for Andrew Shepard that you would be with him as he continues to serve young people in the Ukraine. 
Lord, I pray, offering up to you petitions for his health and his strength. Lord, we prayed for him some months ago as he had a significant lung issue. Lord, I pray that you would be continuing to help him to recover and that he wouldn't have any lasting negative impact from it. And Lord, most of all, I do pray for his spiritual condition before you, that in the midst of all of his serving and preparing and ministering to others, that you would keep Jesus close to his heart. Help him to remember his own need of a Savior, that though his sin may be ever before him and the weaknesses that he has, Lord, I pray that you would comfort him to know that Jesus is with him, even in the Ukraine. And Lord, I do pray for that country in the war-torn nature that it is right now. Lord, I pray that you would use Andrew and many others to spread the good news of the gospel. That people would hear, even in language school or other places where they're getting aid, that they would hear the good news of Jesus and believe. And Lord, I do lift up to you Steve and Julie. I pray, Lord, that you would be merciful to them as they await the results of this scan that Steve had last week. I pray that you would give them faith and hope in you. And Lord, what a wonderful testimony it is to hear from them that their desire is that regardless of the outcome of this result, of this scan, that they desire to see you glorified in their lives. May you do that, Lord. Answer their prayer. And Lord, I pray now for us as a church family as we're about to read your word and hear it proclaimed. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to hear and hearts to understand, that we would be able to hear the words of Jesus and delight in them. Help us to see our need of you and the great beauty of the Lord Jesus in the Scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Proverbs, chapter 16. Proverbs, chapter 16, we're going to read verses 7 through 9 this morning. The sermon is entitled, A Man's Ways. Proverbs, chapter 16, verses 7 through 9. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God abides forever. Remember that as you hear these words from the Holy Scriptures this morning. Proverbs chapter 16, beginning in verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever. Today we're still in our series, Being Still in the Busy. As we consider this summer, what it means, even in the midst of a busy life, a hectic schedule or frenzy all around us, what it means to delight in the providence of God and be able to rest in Him. And we're considering this morning the ways of a man or a woman in Proverbs chapter 16. In the Bible, a person's ways, a man or a woman's ways, refers to how the guiding principles of their heart direct their actions and their words, including the motives of their hearts. Every man, without exception, has these. They determine for each of us our non-negotiables in life. How am I going to spend my time, my money, my energy? And a question for each of us this morning that we have to consider, we're confronted with it in the Scriptures. What are those principles for you? And are they based upon the Word of God? Is your heart more driven by the need for power and possessions and productivity than to be a well-pleasing Christian before the Lord? I believe in order to answer these questions, to really be able to sit down and say before the Lord, I can give answer 
for the guiding principles in my life, in order to do that, I believe you have to slow down enough to sit with your Bible open and your heart open before the Lord and say, Lord, here's your word. Here's my life. And this is how I see the gospel intersecting with my life even right now today. I believe you have to be able to answer, am I delighting in and enjoying the providence of God in my life, even in circumstances that are outside of my control? Am I enjoying the providence of God in my life? Or am I striving in my own strength and wearing myself thin? I know what that's like. You know what that's like. To strive in our own self-confidence. To think we have the resources to do it. So as we look at this passage this morning, I want to do so under three headings. And you know the answer to this question in the Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So this morning our, our headings will be related to that answer in the Shorter Catechism. Number one, enjoying God's favor. Number two, enjoying God's provision. And number three, enjoying God's plan. So number one, enjoying God's favor. From verse 7. I'll read it again. He says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. To please the Lord, in verse 7, means to be accepted by God. To be welcomed into His presence, to the very throne room of the God who created all of the heavens and the earth. It means to receive a blessing from Him. To be pleasing to the Lord. I think it's helpful to pause here for just a moment as you read the Scriptures, as we read these words. I think it's helpful to pause for just a moment and at least acknowledge this. That we're speaking about the Almighty God who never changes who always is holy, He's always true, He's always righteous, loving, and perfectly just, to say that anything that we do would be pleasing in His sight, that He would be pleased to bless us. We have to pause for just a moment and say, if that kind of thing happens in our lives, if we could say we are pleasing to the Lord, it must be because He has done something on our behalf. It cannot be anything done in our own strength. It can't be performance-based living at all. To say this must mean that God has reached into, has condescended to us, His people, and made a change in our relationship with Him. To say that He makes His enemies be at peace in verse 7 means that God compels His enemies, the enemies of the righteous person, to surrender. That God actually does it. He does this work in their lives. He changes their heart. This verse is not referring to peaceful resolution of a conflict with an offended brother or sister. That's not what this is talking about. The kind of peace that he's speaking about here is between someone who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, who the Bible calls righteous, a son or daughter of God. And he says that when their life is pleasing to God, that God actually makes their enemies In the Bible, the enemies of the righteous people are the wicked. And that's what he's speaking about here. He's speaking about those who hate God. The wicked hate God and they hate His purposes. They hate His people. And they love to see the righteous fall. And so they hate the one that God's favor rests upon. If God is well pleased with someone, the wicked hates them. In the Bible, their actions are described this way, using these words. The wicked oppress 
They persecute. They smite. They pursue with vengeance. They deal treacherously with others. They deceive. They live and act according to their own prideful hearts. They exalt themselves and not the living God. They make themselves great with their words. They have to build themselves up. Their reputation is everything. If they don't have a reputation, they are nothing in their own eyes. They scoff at God's Word. They revile His people and His commandments. They rail against the righteousness and the goodness of God. And they gnash their teeth. There is a deep-seated antagonism in their hearts against the righteous and against God's people. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 10, one of the most chilling verses in the Bible says that the soul of the wicked desires evil. That that's the desire of his heart. That's what wakes him or her up. Is nothing but desiring evil. No rejoicing in God. No loving His creation. Actually hating Him and enjoying thinking of evil and evil thoughts. And what this verse is teaching us about the ways of a, a person who belongs to God is this. That those who enjoy God's favor don't have to avenge themselves against the wicked, against their enemies. They actually depend on God to vindicate them. That in His time, He will do it. That is difficult. And maybe that's an understatement. If you've ever suffered because of the wickedness of someone else who simply hates you because you love the Lord, who hates to see you succeed, who hates to see you making gains in life and walking with the Lord and loving Him, to see someone hate you and not want to take vengeance back and shove it in their face, it is difficult. That is a plane to walk on that sometimes is very lonely because it's almost as if it's, it's casual and accepted in our day. If someone gets a dig in at you, you dig right back. If they smite you on one side of the face, you want to get them. And yet the Bible says that that's not the way we're supposed to live. That it's actually God who causes the enemies of His people to surrender. He's the one that does it. I believe this is nothing less than Spirit-filled, Spirit-motivated, active restraint in the part of His people. That He actually teaches us and causes us to be able to rule our own hearts well, choosing to trust even in the face of the tactics of the enemy. That is unheard of in our day. That's totally unheard of that I would live that way. That I would let people do things to me in the name of hating Christianity, in the name of hating Jesus, and then just let them keep doing it. And isn't there something that rises up in us and says, I'm not going to be anyone's doormat. I'm no one's fool. You can't do that. I will stand up for my rights. And yet, the writer of Proverbs here says that it's the Lord who brings vengeance and not us. And He actually brings peace. The man or woman of God cries out to Him for vindication. Listen to these words in the book of Psalms, chapter 17. Maybe this is the cry of your heart. Maybe it has been. Psalm chapter 17, beginning in verse 13, he says, Arise, O Lord, confront Him, cast Him down. Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. With your hand from men, O Lord, from the men of the world who have their portion and in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. And then he says this, encouraging his own heart. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I know that you will preserve me. 
I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Are you satisfied if all that Jesus does for you is make you like the Lord Jesus Christ? To make you in His image? I think that's a question. Would you rather have vengeance or be like Jesus? Would you rather have revenge or look like your Savior before His face? Number two, enjoying God's provision. Verse 8 begins with, with these words, better than. And it's kind of arresting this comparison. But you almost can miss it. You have to slow down a little bit to read it. Consider the value of both of these things as you read these verses and wonder which one is better. It's almost like a, a game of would you rather. Are you familiar with that game? Would you rather have this or would you rather have that? And that's what the, the writer of this proverb is saying. Would you rather have a little bit and be righteous before the living God? Or would you rather have a whole lot of the world's wealth and have it unjustly? That's a question that he's putting before us. In Matthew chapter 16, this is a, a question sometimes we ask our children. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? He says here in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8, better is a little with righteousness. And I think what this verse is saying to us, what I believe it's telling us is, don't give in to the idea that God's favor for His people always means financial comfort. It always means you're going to have vast wealth and an easy life and then the next thing that you go to, if you don't have it, and if we're maybe simple-minded or weak-minded, as we look at our lives and we think about where we are, measuring ourselves up against other people or, or what the status of the day tells us, maybe we think, there must be something wrong in my life. Because those who belong to God are supposed to be righteous and flourishing. They're supposed to have plenty. If God is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, why can't He share one or two head with me? Why do I have to have so little? And yet, we shouldn't get into this idea that God is keeping the easy life from us. That if I was only living like a Christian, things would be better. If I really was not giving in to sin, my life would be better. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The verse in Proverbs here says, Better is a little with righteousness. And you know, I was reminded this morning in adult Sunday school that even if you might say, I have a little bit of this world's wealth, you have a lot more than most people in this world. We have so much to be thankful for. Whether it's food that we eat, the food in our, in our refrigerator or our cupboards where we can open and say, I just don't feel like having that tonight. Do you want to go out? you know how many people in the world can't do that? We heard a presentation this morning about the believers in Africa, young girls who rejoiced because they had running water a year or two ago. And how many times can I be quick to complain if the water for my shower isn't hot? And they were delighting that they had clean water to drink. We are a rich, rich people. Better is a little with righteousness than vast wealth with injustice. He says it's better, it's better to have a little and be in the Lord's favor than to have vast revenues and have it unjustly. One of the things that we're reminded of here, or should be reminded of, is that in this world, in this time right now that we're living in, 
The Lord may allow the wicked to enjoy morally ill-gotten wealth before He executes justice. It doesn't mean that because they have it now, they'll have it forever. It means that He's allowing them to have it. And it may go to their hearts and harden them before the living God. It actually may happen. But one day He will execute justice and it will be precise and it will be final and there will be no changing it. Praise the Lord that He doesn't allow us to have our hearts hardened by how little or how much we have in this world. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, if your heart would tend to think for just a moment, He's letting the wicked get away with it. He's letting them have things that I could enjoy and I would use for the kingdom. Isn't it so interesting how our hearts turn? We think, well, if I had that wealth, I would use it for His good. If He gave it to me, I would make His name great. And yet in His wisdom, He's given you exactly what you have. Exactly what you need. I read a quote last night that said, and I, I kind of stopped for a minute. Someone said, how horrible it would be if all we got in this world is what we need. Spoken like a true first world person. If the Lord has given us everything that we have, we have everything that we need. There's nothing that He withholds from you. As your Heavenly Father, there's nothing He withholds from you that you need. If you need it, you will have it. It may not be in the time that you hoped for it, but it will always be in the time that He has ordained for you to have it. And may you rest and enjoy that providence that your good Heavenly Father governs everything. Do you need something? Lift up your heart to Him and know that He hears you and He will provide it in His time. And if you don't need it, pray that He would help your heart to rejoice in His providence, that I don't have to have it. It doesn't define me. It doesn't make me who I am. Who I am is who I am before Him. Not because I have something or don't have it. And if injustice touches your heart and it makes you bristle at other people who seem to have more, and maybe it causes you to bristle at wicked people in this world who seem to be getting away with it, remember these words from Hebrews chapter 4. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. It may look like there's never a policeman on the road when that speeder almost runs you off. It may look like Injustice is reigning and ruling, but you need to remember in your heart, our Heavenly Father is long-suffering. And the Bible says that we're to regard His patience as salvation, as an opportunity to repent. If He wanted to exact justice in a moment, He could do it. But He's choosing to give us opportunity to repent before Him, to look to Him. But I want to compare for just a moment as you read these verses. Maybe you thought of these other verses in, in Proverbs chapter 15. If you still have your Bible open, go over there and look at, at Proverbs chapter 15, verses 16 and 17. It sounds very similar to what we just read. He says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Is that true? It's absolutely true. It's God's Word. But notice that here in chapter 15, he says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord. But the verse that we read in chapter 16, verse 8 says, Better is a little with righteousness. And in Proverbs chapter 16, he's dealing with the sovereignty of God, the Almighty God of the universe, and the plans and the the thoughts and the scheming of man. 
of sinful man. And what he's showing here, and I think it's interesting that you see fear of the Lord in one, but then the Lord's not mentioned in verse 8 at all. It just says righteousness. And maybe part of what's hanging there, the omission probably isn't a mistake. It's probably intentional. That perhaps he left it out because it seems that God is the one who's absent in what's taking place. It seems that the wicked are getting away with it, that the righteous are suffering. You read verses that say, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And then you look at life and say, but I don't see that as a reality. I do actually see God's people suffering. They do live in the threat of harm just to worship Him. They live in the threat of harm just to believe in His name. Perhaps He left it out on purpose before He turns this morally upside down world right side up. And dear believer, those of you whose hearts may be crumbled as you look at this world and the injustice in it, He will do it. He will set it right. And if He doesn't do it in your day, He will do it one day when every eye will see. In the resurrection, you will see true justice, though it may not exist in this world. I think it's a reminder that those who enjoy God's provision rejoice at what He provides from day to day. It's a reminder that His blessings, whatever He gives you in the day that you have, is good for you. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, it says these words, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and He adds no sorrow to it. Do you know that to be true, dear believer? Dear one who loves the Lord, that when He makes rich, He adds no sorrow to it. I think by implication, it means that those who have riches that have not been gotten by ways that are full of justice and righteousness, that there is sorrow. If you have something that you know you shouldn't, you know you're wondering, when am I going to lose it? I've got to protect it. I can't let anybody see it or know I have it. And yet if the Lord gives it to you, no one could take it away, no matter how many. It's not possible to lose something the Lord gives you. Now I'm not going to say you can't lose your keys and rejoice when you find them. But I'm saying if the Lord has given you something, protecting it with all your might just wears you out. It doesn't stretch His providence to care for His children. It's His delight to do it. Enjoy His provision for you and for your family. Number three, enjoying God's plan. Looking at verse 9. He says a, man, a man's heart plans his way. In the Bible, the heart is a, is a poetic word used to describe the result of the human thought process that leads to actions. Decisions we make day in and day out. You make decisions with your heart. It's why we tell our children those verses to watch over your heart for from it flows the matters of life. Guard your heart. It says that a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Do you believe this, dear child of God, that not a step is taken in your life apart from the Lord's superintendence over everything that you do? One writer said this, A man may plan his road to the very last detail, but he cannot implement his planning unless it coincides with God's plan for him. He is deluded if he believes that he has unfettered control, that he can impose his will on every situation with no limitation. Can any man or woman in this room say they've enjoyed that kind of sovereignty over their own life? None of us. None of us. So then as God's people... We should be enjoying every day knowing that we live 
under the umbrella and the shadow of His providence in our lives. Praise the Lord, it's not up to me. Have you had responsibility that feels like a significant weight before? That you feel responsible to make sure things go right? That things happen the way they should for people so that balls are not dropped? That people have what they need? Praise the Lord, you don't have the weight of the universe or the weight of your salvation on your own shoulders. It's on His. It is where it has always been and it is in the right place. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24 says this, A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Do you know that to be true? Have you ever said to yourself, Well, the best laid plans, I thought I was doing this today, but somehow in God's providence I ended up over here. Yes, I hope that you see it, that in God's providence, He is guiding you every day. Every day He's with you. He's leading you. He's showing you ways that He's present. He's never gone. He's never far from His people. He is guiding you. Do you know the ways of your own heart? These verses talk about God's providence in our lives. And I thought, well, that would be enough to encourage God's people today. To hear about the beauty and the wonder and the strength of a sovereign, almighty God. But I was reminded that maybe that truth isn't enough to land on your heart today. As you walk out, maybe it's not enough to cling to that. Maybe it is important and helpful to look just maybe a verse behind the passage that we read this morning. Because I believe what touches our heart, yes it is the sovereignty of God. But I think the mercy of the Lord in the Lord Jesus Christ is what melts sinful hearts. It is what melts cold hearts to the Lord. Look at verse 6. It says, In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. So you could have all the truth and right doctrine in the world and be miles away from the living God. Unless the truth of Jesus coming into this world and dying for you and paying for the iniquity of your sin, unless that touches you, you could believe everything right about the Bible and be able to argue and find cross-references to cross-references. You could know every little bit of even the original languages and not be close to Jesus. What these words are saying is that unless you are relishing in, unless you are glorying in God's providence for you to send a Savior then you are left in your own sins. And Jesus doesn't touch your heart. He's someone to look at or to study. But He's not anyone to know. He's not anyone to walk with or to really trust in. To know that He will provide for me. That I do live in His favor. And I think there are maybe just a few ways, very briefly, that I think this shows up for us. We might say we believe certain things. It's true that we believe these things. We would sign it if it was a statement of faith put before us. But I wonder, as you think about power and possessions and productivity in your own life, if maybe you would say this, that maybe some of these, maybe not all of them, but maybe some of these things do actually show the inclination of your heart. Do you have an inordinate need for control in your own life? Do you expend energy all the time trying to manage other people's perceptions of you? And attempting every day to maintain a stranglehold on every detail of life. 
I've got to be in control. If I don't keep all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, things are going to go crazy because there are people around me who don't even know what planet we're on. I've got to keep things together. The ship depends on me. And yet, if you and I are living under God's providence to an audience of one as unto the Lord, then I can enjoy His favor knowing that whatever happens in my life, He's bringing it. And even if it is a trial, and even if it breaks my heart, He's with me. And I know that He's good. Number two, do you have an inordinate need for more things? And I can raise my hand to this and say, that's me. A ready willingness sometimes to sacrifice our sense of justice and morals and even possibly sacrifice matters of eternal significance in order to not miss out on something or some experience that no price for your heart is too steep to pay. If I get to have this, if I can do this in life, if I can wear it, if people can see me in it, then they will esteem me. They will like me. They will look up to me. No price is too steep to be esteemed by other people. And yet... The verse that we read today says that even with a little, the Lord gives contentment, joy, and lasting peace. You can actually be content not having things. That seems impossible in this world. We mortgage everything, even our happiness. And yet Jesus says, if I give it to you, not only do I give you that thing, but I give you contentment in your soul with it. Not just with that, but contentment to not have the other things. Maybe you'd say, is Jesus enough for me? And lastly, number three, do you have an inordinate need for productivity? An internal drive that's pushing you to say, I need to create something praiseworthy. My work product needs to be great because you believe that what we produce defines us. It determines our worth and makes us indispensable to others. And yet ultimately, You have to admit, according to the Scriptures and true to life that you live in reality every day, we are in control of very little in this life. Your life can be here now and gone before you are home. That's true. We don't want to admit it. We don't like it. It puts a lump in your throat. But you don't control your life. The Bible says God is the one who establishes our steps. Be free, brother or sister. You don't have to have that weight on you. For you or for your family, for your children. For some people, for some of you men, this day is horrible. It's a reminder of everything you didn't do. Everything that you didn't measure up to. Everything that you could have done. You just didn't. And all of us have our list. Things I had intended to do. May you rest today. All of us, dads, children, mothers, grandmothers, rest in the providence of God that your to-do list doesn't determine your worth in your family or in the kingdom of God. I hope that you're encouraged today as you think about your ways before the Lord, that the Lord Jesus came to deliver you even from your own best accomplishments. He came to give you rest in Him. And I pray that today is a day of Sabbath rest for you, for you dads, For you moms, for children, rest in the providence of God. He is good and He is taking care of you. Even though things might not seem together today, your life is in His hands. Let's pray.
Father, I thank You for the refreshing good news of Your Word for us today. We need it desperately to hear it. There are so many voices shouting at us every day. Be productive. Do more. Make more. Have more. You need more. Lord, I pray that You would help each of us to see that the greatest thing that we have is our relationship with You. And if You give us nothing, we have everything. Lord, I pray that we would enjoy and rest in the providence of Your hand. And I pray that You would help each of us down deep in our souls to value more living life well before You than wanting to be esteemed by other people. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's Word by singing hymn number 111, This Is My Father's World.
Our Father in heaven, we dedicate to you our tithes and offerings now that we have given to you in obedience to your command that we would give and out of joy and delight to be able to give back to you just a small portion of what you have so richly given each of us with. Lord, I pray that we would be thankful in our hearts that this is part of a worship service and not part of our to-do list, that giving our tithes and offerings is an act of worship before the living God. And Lord, I do pray that you would help us, give us wisdom in how to use these monies for the sake of the kingdom, that lost souls would hear of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because of our obedience. And Lord, may we do so in joy and delight, knowing that you have given this to us as a gift also. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive the benediction of our Lord from Numbers chapter 6. 